Good morning. Uh, I wanted to, a couple things before we have you stand to read our passage this morning. Uh, some of you know George Compton. Uh, he passed away, gone to be with the Lord. He was 82, I think. He was how old he was. But there's going to be a memorial here on Friday for him if you knew him or I've, he, he was here. They came a long, he came a long time. Deborah's wife and then uh, Doris and there's others that have come here for a long time that are part of his family. So then you have these prayer requests. Again, there's a, there's a, prayer thing on the back of, back of your chair if you have a prayer request, either that or the blue one that's up here. The green one is for your answers. If you put them in those bowls, we would love to be praying for you. And also, just to reemphasize for you guys, tomorrow night, the King's Men, it's one hour, it's 6.30 to 7.30. Tomorrow, and I've been, as I'm preparing for it, it's just encouraging me again that we've been given a commission to preach the gospel. It's not complicated. So we're going to just look at that tomorrow night, different little facets of that from different guys sharing about sharing our own uh, testimony and the gospel with people. So with that, would you stand? Mark, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 21. We're going to look at 1 through 26, cruising over some of it. So Mark 8, 14, verse 14. The way to understanding. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said, seven. So I said to them, how is it you do not understand? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. We're blessed by it. We're thankful for it. And Lord, I pray you'd help me to communicate the things on your heart for your people this morning. We look to you as the one who teaches us all things. You transform our lives through your word by your spirit. And certainly, Lord, we need that big time. So bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Forgot the responsive reading, so we're going to do it anyway. So don't sit down yet. <laughs> you do the, uh, we're going through the Psalm 119. It's an acrostic psalm. So each eight verses is a stanza that has the same first letter, second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So this is the second letter, Beth, of the Hebrew alphabet. So I'll read the odd and the nine, verse 9 and the odd. You take the verse 10 and the even together. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. With my lips, I've declared all the judgments of your mouth. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I got to pray again, Lord, please. Now that we're in the word, and as we were said here, thy word of a hate in my heart that I might not sin against you, teach me your statutes. Lord, help us not to forget your word, to delight in it. 
So bless now, break fresh, and feed us. We're hungry. In Jesus' name. Now you can be seated. Amen. <laughs> four, in this section here, verses 1 through 26, there are four snapshots. We've taken the whole gospel and called it snapshots of the Savior. But let me give you the four snapshots that we have in this text. The first one is in verses 1 through 10. Jesus satisfied a multitude with bread. The second snapshot, verses 11 through 13, Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. Third snapshot, and Mark is like, he, he has this word immediately, he's always talking. So these are little snapshots, little snippets of what in many ways, many times in other gospels is, is, is uh, given more detail. Not Mark, he's moving us along. Third snapshot, which we'll spend most of our time this morning, Jesus charged his disciples to beware. And then the fourth one, verses 23 through 26, Jesus restored a blind man's sight. So in verses 1 through 10, this first one, he satisfied a multitude with bread. In these verses, 1 through 10, they're very similar to the feeding of the 5,000, which is in, every, in all four Gospels, that particular miracle. It's in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John chapter 6. There are differences, clear differences. This is not the same miracle. Jesus even says that very clearly. There, in the first one, 5,000 men plus women and children. Some would say as large as 15 to 20,000 people. In this one, 4,000 men with women and children were fed. Most likely the crowd in the first 5,000 was a Jewish crowd. This one is pretty clearly a Gentile crowd. Multitudes were with Jesus one day in the first one. This one, it's three days. In the first one, 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. This second one, with seven loaves and a few fish. One fish, two fish, three fish, four. No. <laughs> I thought that was a good joke. Where's the... <laughs> and the first one, how many baskets did they take up? They took up 12, which were, the word used is a Jewish basket. And this one, the 4,000, the surplus was taken up in seven large uh, wicker baskets or Gentile baskets. So we're going to see that both of these were object lessons to give understanding to the disciples, which is what we're talking about, the, the title of that. How do, we get, how do we get this understanding? So notice in verse 17, Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? So there's this idea of Jesus instructing them, giving them understanding. In verse 21, so he said to them, how is it you do not yet, you do not yet understand? So the second snapshot, verse 11, then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. Notice, testing him. It was not sincere. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he, and he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. This is also in Mark 6, Matthew 16, which I'd like to I put up on the screen here to read. Matthew 16, then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and tested him, there it is again, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather, for the sky is red and threatening. Then he says, you're hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. 
Verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then again, as he sa it says in Mark's account, he left them and departed. He was done talking to them. So to put it mildly, this is Jesus' disappointment when faced with the unbelief of those who had such a spiritual privilege, who had so many blessings from God. They should have been the ones who were greeting him and welcoming him and welcoming him as Messiah because be receptive to him because of these privileges. But to put it bluntly, this is Jesus condemning them. It's the condemnation of them for their pride and their hypocrisy, the evil and wicked generation. He refuses to give them what they're looking for. There is a sign, he says, he will give them, but not in this manner. The Jews were not asking for just another miracle, these leaders, these hypocrites. They were asking for a sign, perform or prove it, commanded by them as though Jesus is accountable to them. With everything that had been going on, that is the opposite of what they should have concluded. The opposite is true. The problem was not one of evidence. The problem here is one of arrogance, pride, and hypocrisy. And Jesus points that out not just once. So to ask for a sign was proof of their unbelief. In spite of all that they had seen, proof after proof after proof, they still were testing him, challenging him, looking for a way by which they might destroy him. Bottom line. So in Matthew verse 12, chapter 12, verse 38, we get the similar encounter. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Dead. His, his crucifixion and death. Notice now verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Again, the queen of Sheba will rise in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus sighed over the depth of their wicked spiritual adultery in their unfaithfulness to God. And he let them have it, not just here, but in other places. Jesus sighed over the depth of their unbelief and hypocrisy in spurning him, testing him, challenging him. He sighed over the depth of their unwillingness to hear, as with the Queen of Sheba, to hear after all they had seen. If you don't believe me for the words, believe what I do, he said to the disciples and others. Just, not just what I'm saying, but what I'm doing to back it up, if you will, as proof positive. He sighed over the depth of their evil intentions to kill him, hating him without a cause. So you see what's in the background here. He sighed over their hardness and their impenitent heart in being unwilling to repent. 
This is the condition that's being brought to him as they come to Jesus with this uh, heart attitude of unbelief, hypocrisy, and arrogance. Warren Wearsby said this, quote, had they searched their own scriptures and sincerely examined his life, they would have concluded that this is the Son of God. But for Jesus to have given them a sign would have been wrong. He would have catered to their unbelief and allowed them to set the standards for faith. No matter what miracle he performed, it would not have pleased them, unquote. In other words, no sign. Notice he says no sign except the sign of the, of the prophet Jonah. He's talking about the cross. He's also talking about the resurrection. So there would be a sign coming. And the thing about this as far as the grace of God, the mercy of God, had they, at that time he was crucified and he rose again, had they repented, God would have received them as he did many spiritual leaders. So there's this sign that's coming, and, they would have, and they'll be given this sign, they'll see it, but will there be repentance? That's the question of today. That's the gospel. Will there be repentance? So now we enter into this third snapshot. snapshot. Jesus charged his disciples to beware. He said, take heed, beware. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them. Now, part of the positive here is they're seeing things they've never seen. Jesus gave them these two as object lessons as to who he is. And now it says here, they take no bread, more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them saying, take heed. So he's going to be going back to, he's teaching them, he's instructing them. He's trying to give them understanding. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have no bread. Jesus, being aware of it, he knew what they're thinking. He's instructing them. He's seeking to give them understanding. Why do you reason because you have no bread? I mean, there's a bunch of questions he asks them. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? These are good questions that are needed to be asked as far as our gaining understanding of what God's telling us, who God speaks, and really, ultimately, who Jesus is. And do you not remember? And so now he's going back to the miracle. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? Was there a problem in my providing for you? <laughs> How many baskets did you take up? They said to him, 12. You got it. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 70. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? The issue is not bread. The issue is not provision. The issue is who is he? And what has he performed? What has he done to give to them this understanding? He can provide for multitudes from five loaves and two fish, from seven loaves and a few fish. He can do that. No problem. Now, Matthew tells us exactly what Jesus is talking about. In Matthew 16, how is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? So, giving them credit, then they understood. 
that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees. So they get it. They, okay, I see. Okay, object lesson, I got it. We got it. Now, Mark includes the leaven of Herod because he was a wicked man, first of all, and he also was wanting to see a sign during Jesus' arrest and eventual crucifixion. Now, the word be beware, I want to spend in this one most of our time this morning. The word beware is used a total of 10 times in the Gospels. Get this, every time by Jesus. Beware. He's telling me here, beware. With each beware also, there is this warning of condemnation to follow, should there not be repentance. In other words, this is serious. This is important. Beware. As far as our way to understanding, these things, there's six of them in these ten times, four are, are couched in what we looked at this morning. But in these six things, they're crucial to our understanding. You see, in the Bible, leaven is a type of sin. A picture of sin's corrupting nature. Sin corrupts silently. Beware. It corrupts progressively. Beware. It corrupts extensively. Beware. And if not arrested, if not repented of, it will, it will corrupt completely. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Steve Farrar, in his book, Finishing Strong, notes three things about sin. Quote, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you more than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay, unquote. Beware. God help us by his Holy Spirit to understand these things. Beware. Unbelief like leaven slowly corrupts the minds and hardens the heart contrary to God's word. That's what happens. Unbelief like leaven slowly corrupted their minds and hardened their hearts, these leaders, against God, and they didn't even know it. So, Four things, just as an overview. Beware of corrupt religious leaders. Beware of corrupt religious leaders. Beware of corrupting false doctrine. Beware of that. Do you not understand? Beware of corrupting false doctrine. Third, Beware of the corruption of hypocrisy. Beware of the corruption of hypocrisy. Fourth, beware of the corruption of covetousness. Covetousness. So the word beware used 10 times in the Gospels every time of Jesus. The first, it shows up first, I'm going to go through these verses, is in Matthew 7, 15 where Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, we could take each one of these and spend a whole study on it, no problem. We're just going to hit it. Beware of the false. 
False prophets, false teaching, you name it. Beware of false prophets. In other words, wolves devour sheep. Jesus loves sheep. The false teachers, they make merchandise of God's people. They fleece God's sheep, God's flock. The true shepherd feeds the flock of God, ministers to the flock of God. So beware of the false. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but in other words, what do, sheep, what do wolves eat? They eat sheep. What does a shepherd do? He feeds the sheep, and not only that, he takes care of the wolves. Secondly, in Matthew 10, 17, two verses to give it context. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Interesting. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Now, he goes on to say, well, when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks speaks in you. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Because the fear of man is a snare. Do not fear those, Jesus saying this, who who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. He's saying fear God and fear hell. I can tell you personally that when I came back to Christ, it was out of fear. I did not want to go to hell. That's a good fear. (laughs) Fear of God and fear of hell. It's real. Now, contrary, we'll look at that in a moment, contrary to some false teachings these days, hell isn't really even there. It doesn't even exist. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to believe Jesus before I'm going to believe them. Then he said, beware of those who can't kill the... Beware of him who can kill you, can send you to hell. That's God. Are not, but then he clarifies something very important. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Cheap. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head, some of you have made it easier on God, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So he says again, do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, this is the gospel, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who's in heaven. You know what he's going to say? Father, he's Kevin, he's mine when I stand before him. Now, to him who is able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, that's Jesus. He is going to stand and usher me into the glory of God. Why? Because No, because he is the good shepherd. He's the one that I fear. I fear God. Fear these things. Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny. So it's a question of choice. Beware of danger, but do not fear. Beware of danger, but do not fear. Be wise in avoiding danger. Be innocent in trusting God to deliver you from all and any danger. It might be through death. God will deliver. So be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. Be wise in avoiding danger. Don't just, you know, this martyrdom complex at all. No, be wise in that, but be gentle 
Trust God to deliver you in the midst of whatever danger it might be. Now, the four, time, four next occurrences of this beware are in Matthew 16 and in our text this morning. In Matthew 16, it says, How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the doctrine, but the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood. It's talking about the doctrine. So this third one, beware of doctrine. Beware of what's being taught. We need sound doctrine of God's word from those who have shown themselves study the word of God to know what it says and to clearly deliver what God said, not what I think. And I look at, even this morning, as I, because I just said, thinking, man, I'm standing before you with the word of God. And I hope that you're, you're like the Bereans. You're hearing these things, receiving them with all readiness of mind, but then you're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. And if they're not so, I would like to know that. It's an important thing. It's, it's incredibly serious to, to take and handle God's word accurately. And God help me. And I, I ask for your prayers. In fact, I have a preaching prayer team now. It's wonderful. Just praying for me. Praying for the preaching of the word. But not just me, any of us who are handling the word of God. We need to understand how important this thing of doctrine is. To be diligent, to know it's sound doctrine. To compare scripture with scripture. And at the end of the study, I want to go through a chapter with you that helps us also understand this better as far as God's word and how we understand it and how we apply it. Beware of doctrine. You see, false prophets lie to deceive you. That's what they do. Jesus is the truth. He said, know what? The truth, and the truth will set you free. To say there's no hell is not the truth. It's a lie. And to say that is to not set us free from it. And on go, on go the things. So we can never be too careful in discerning and exposing false teachers and doctrine. When false teaching gets into the heart and mind of a disciple of Jesus Christ, it corrupts the truth as far as who Jesus is. It has to tear that down. It corrupts the truth of God's word and what it is. It corrupts, has God really said that? Well, hold on a second. It corrupts the truth Jesus has given us to proclaim about who he is and what he accomplished alone on the cross for our salvation. There is no other way except through him, the narrow way. He came and died on that cross and rose again to set us free from the reality of sin's condemnation and hell's existence. And I say, praise the Lord. That's the good news. But we must beware of doctrine that false prophets lie to deceive. It corrupts the truth about what sin is and all of its manifestations. It corrupts the truth of the condemnation of sin and the final judgment of the unrepentant sinner. In a word, it corrupts God's word 
No small matter. Has God said? Yes, that's exactly what God has said. In 1 John, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given us of his Son. What's that testimony? This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the bad news. But thank be to God for the good news of the gospel. That Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We sing that song this morning, the love of God. It's immeasurable. Because God so loved the world, he gave his son. That we might know these truths and be set free by him to enjoy our lives abundantly. Because we know him, the only true God. Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, I hope you men will turn out tomorrow night as we look at this whole thing of evangelism. It's a discipline. It's not a gifting in that sense. It's not these different gifts. I have the gift of evangelism. No, we're all called. It just says right here. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to, I love this, every creature. So practice on your cat. Practice on your dog. Practice on, the, on those little things that are ruin your lawn. You know, preach to he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe, notice, will be condemned. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son is everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. He's under the condemnation of God. Jesus said in John chapter 3, he did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What's the condemnation? That men love darkness rather than light. They won't come to Christ. And you know that, and I know that as believers in this room. We understand it's simple, but this is the message that sets people free. Well-known Bible teachers have turned from the truth and turned aside to fables. The one that really, it's still, I don't get it, is Andy Stanley, who has turned to fables after he was raised in a, God, with a godly home with a godly father who preached the word consistently and faithfully. And now somehow, some way, I don't know what it is. It's the platform that got into his head. I don't know what that is, but something happened. And I say, God, you got to keep me. You got to keep us. Lest we follow the same pattern of itching ears and fables. I've mentioned these before, but I'll mention them again. There's the American Gospel Document documentaries. I, I encourage you to watch them. The one put out in 2018 is, 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 is Christ alone. So the question is, is Christianity Christ plus the American dream? They hit the prosperity gospel. It's false teaching. The word of faith movement is false teaching. It's corrupted the gospel message Christ crucified in 2019. The gospel message has always been offensive. I mean, I just was reading that. It is offensive. In our culture, it is common for preachers to soften the offense of the cross. 
The paths of postmodernism and progressive Christianity leads to a different gospel. That's what Paul wrote to the Galatians about. I marvel you so soon turn to a different gospel, which is not a gospel at all. There is no deliverance. There is no freedom. There is no forgiveness. There is no redemption except in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. So Paul said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach the cross of Christ. What they do is they create a God in their own image, one that fits their nice little pa uh, patterns. There's one coming out, supposed to come out in 20, it it's, continues to be, for some reason, I'm not sure why, but in 2023, it's supposed to be one called Spirit and Fire, talking about the charismatic movement and things like that. It hasn't come out yet. They're having some stalls on that. Now, let me also say this, and there's a lot of things that we could list here. If any of you are aware of some of these things, you'll say amen on that maybe, I hope, I trust. But then also there's so many I could name, I'm not going to do that this morning, but there is a concern, and rightfully so, as to the false teaching that's corrupting mega music ministries. Hillsong and Bethel are a couple that you need to check out, and we do. And we, we do sing their songs, but we make sure they're doctrinally accurate, that there's solid in that, because these are the, you know, music is a gateway for information Amen. that then sticks. What kind of information are we singing about? That's why I love the love of these hymns. Don't you love the hymns? Just so solid and packed with Scripture. For me, worship songs are the best when they're packed with scriptures and they get me focused on God. So many songs are me-focused. Music that comes out. I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm just saying. These are, are, there are others embracing the new apostolic reformation. It's false teaching. It's not true. And then there are the lies swallowed hook, line, and sinker by our culture, which we would expect, who care, could care less what God has to say, could care less about really thinking about what they're believing that is preposterous, that's contrary to logic, contrary to reason, contrary to evidence, and yet here it is. That's why we need sound doctrine. We need a solid biblical worldview that comes from the Bible. We need not be ashamed to say, that's what the Bible says. Andy Stanley said, well, hold on a second. Listen to what I say. No, no. What does God say? What is God saying? And then even more important is, now what is God saying to me and to you from his word? And am I responding to that in truth? We're needed in repentance. You see, the VBS this week, you should have been here, you could have learned like 20 of those songs <laughs> bouncing around. See, to combat all these things, we have been given the armor of God. Those little, those little hearts are taking in the armor of God. He's given us, and by this we will overcome all things. We overcome. Therefore, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
We depend on him. We look to him. We believe him. We trust him. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. We are standing firm in God's word, in prayer, in the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the, the girdle of truth, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We stand in the battle, armed by God, God present with us, empowered by God, and we find that we can overcome these things. It's the power of the Spirit of God. It's the power of the Word of God, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of prayer, the power of the mercy of God, the power of the grace of God, the power of the love of God. All these things showered on us, washing over us in the Word of God. The seventh time we find it is in both Mark and Luke where it says in Mark chapter 12, then he said to them in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Beware of the desire for the praise of men. For the accolades of this world, beware. Be humble before God. Desire only the praise that comes from him. Number eight, in Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Goes right alongside false doctrine, all that stuff, hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy. In other words, beware of living a double life. Beware of living a double life. It'll ruin your ability to understand the things of God. To perceive them and understand them. As I've said often before, I say it to myself all the time, be the real deal with God, whatever that takes. Get in that private closet. Be the real deal with God. And in so doing, you'll be the real deal with others. I'll be the real deal with others. And then the ninth time, which the ninth one, but it's the tenth one, Luke chapter 12, 15. Take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, this is a huge topic for our culture that we live in. Beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Man, Lord, you got to hammer that home. Beware of covetousness. Desiring after things that God has not given. He spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain man, and you know this, the whole story. He thought, well, what shall I do? I got so much stuff, I'm going to build bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns. I'm going to store all my stuff. Now, I have a little bit of a, I'm not a hoarder, but I like to save like the same jar. I have all my jars the same. Or the same this, and I love books. <laughs> How many of you got piles at home? But listen, he's saying, that's not going to give you any life at all. It won't do it. It comes from God and relationship with him. So he's, the thing is, we want to be rich towards God, first and foremost. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure be. He says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What I'm treasuring is where my heart's going to be centered. 
Someone said you can always tell people's priorities, just look at their checkbook. What is the priority? What's the desires? Do I have desires for other things, or do I have the desire to be rich toward God? To be content with the things. The covetousness will ruin contentment. And so Jesus restored then the final one, a blind man's sight. Came to Bethsaida, this is interesting, they brought him a blind man to him, begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. He, and he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Now, evidently, he could see before. Something was coming back. I, I know what that is, I just can't see it clearly. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. And we looked at that last week. Why would he say that? So let me wrap this up. I want to look at, at a passage of Scripture, but before that, as I was studying, reading, it's as if the Holy Spirit of God inspired Mark to include this snapshot of our Savior. It's as though it's like a picture that I think is to be viewed repeatedly as far as the loyal-hearted disciples' willingness and ability to understand, to see things clearly. Jesus took them by the hand, led them out of town, get away from the crowd and all the confusion. He spit on his eyes. We looked at this last week, which is kind of weird, but he did it. And he put it on his eyes. He asked him, now, what do you see? And I see these trees. And then he did that again and said, look up. So here's the deal that's interesting here. This is a gradual healing, not instantaneous. Jesus sort of working the eyes and asking the questions. Do you see? Do you see? And I think just go back. Do you un why do you understand? Do you see it? Do you get it? This gradual process whereby we, our sight is restored, or we see things clearly now. The final outcome, he is restored and saw everyone clearly. It's an encouragement to my heart, and I trust to yours. It's an encouragement for my heart. I'm loyal to Jesus. I know that. I want to understand these things. I do. And yet it seems like sometimes I just don't get it. The way to understanding. It's Jesus who oversees this gradual process of opening our eyes to the truths. This gradual process of softening our hearts to the truth. This gradual process of growing up in our spiritual perceptions and understanding and discernment. And understanding the things of God. So he said, how is it you don't understand? I would like to rephrase that. How is it you do understand? And for that, I'm going to put them up on the screen. As we go through this chapter, then we'll close. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is so encouraging to me. And I trust to us. And I, brother, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. 
My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You know, we can be so enamored by someone's oratory skills. Paul's coming and say, I, that wasn't me. That your faith, why, should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And my speech and my preaching were not persuasive words. It wasn't me, my great oratory or anything like that. But it was the power of God. That's what you were experiencing when you were listening. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. It's this thing that's unfolding, these mysteries of God. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Verse 9, as is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So someone take that and say, hey, there's no way. God, I has not seen. They take that and leave out verse 10. But God has revealed them to us by his, through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. God the Holy Spirit is the means by which God brings us along in power, in understanding, to understand and gain these things as a part of who I am in him. Wow. The way to understanding is God's doing, again, as we looked at last week, it's God's doing. He saves us. He gives to us his Holy Spirit, and then he sanctifies our life as we yield to the Holy Spirit's power, the Holy Spirit in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit in our fellowship with one. As we're yielding and yielding our lives, God gives us greater and deeper understanding of these wonderful things of God, the Spirit of God. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot. He says, God is revealing to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man? I don't know anything about you unless you tell me. I might be able to look, but I really don't know. Even so, no one knows the things of God except, notice, the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. All of these things are given to us by God and revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, through his word, that we might know them and understand. These things we also speak not in words of man's wisdom, teach man's wisdom, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Now, how can I be sure I'm on target? The word of God. The spirit of God working through the word of God changes, transforms our lives. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. So you wonder, why can't you get that? What's going on? And that, and that can be a frustrating thing for the believer. We see things so clearly. God's revealed them to us. We get it. We understand it. And then you try and communicate it to a natural person, not born again. They're going, what? For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He closes, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself rightly judges, is judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord? This is incredible. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Jesus and his disciples, as he's, he's giving to them understanding. It's a process. He's doing this with them. He's real well, and he asks questions and questions. He brings them out by themselves. He's talking to them, and, and he's giving them understanding. And I want, I want to say to you, as, as for me, I hope that you're encouraged that God is not done with you yet. He's not done. 
He's working in your life. Who has known my Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Can I have the worship team come out and close? In John chapter 14, Jesus put it this way. First of all, he says, but the helper. How many of you need help this morning? The helper. Interesting that God would call, give the Holy Spirit the name, the helper. God is our help. God is our holiness. The Holy Spirit, but the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. And you got to know, as those disciples, as Jesus died, rose again, ascended to heaven, as, these, as they're walking the roads and doing what they're doing, they're understanding God is speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking. And as I was sharing uh, the close of EBS on Thursday night, or fr Thursday night, said, and I've said it here before, every time we open the, Bi the Bible, God is speaking to us. And these things here are what God is doing. He is giving to us a deeper understanding of the things that are ours in Christ. Amen. Stand with me. Let's, let's sing this song and then I'll close in prayer.